This episode of Two Towns Over, we witness an unethical sleep study. After we have a bit of fun with urban legends, we visit Auschwitz to take a long and uncomfortable look at Joseph Mengele and his depraved, quote-unquote, experimentation. This episode has earned a serious trigger warning right up top. Listener discretion is advised. Two Towns Over is a podcast where we explore the fascinating world of urban legends, conspiracy theories, and campfire tales to find out if there are any truths behind the legends. With dark humor and natural curiosity, we tackle the darkened streets of the town we all know. Welcome to the town with no name. This is Two Towns Over. Oh yeah, I mean I can... Oh, there we go. Wow. <laughs> I think my voice always just kills me on recording because it's not the uh, the mental image that I have of my own voice. It never is. Yeah. I, it was explained to me one time because the way you hear your voice... It's reverberating within the confines of your skull. Right. Yep. What you hear when you hear a recording is the way everybody else hears you. So it's going to sound different. And that bothers me so deeply. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no, I don't like it. I don't. It's weird to hear. I I don't have a problem with it. Um, You know, I can, you know, occasionally I'll hear that little Southern girl come out that I I hate. I know. I I hate it, too. I don't like the way I laugh. But I can't help that. It's just the I way think I laugh. That's, I do kind of like the way I laugh, but that's about it. Yeah, I kind of like the way I laugh too. Well, speaking of laughter and cheer and joy, should we get into today's episode? Cheer and joy, yeah. On a this podcast, a... <laughs> which is called what, Don? Because only I could take an awesome creepy pasta and turn it into the most dismal and depressing thing I could possibly research over the past couple weeks. This will be fun. Yeah, like. Men- mental health affecting research. Yeah. Oh boy, so, it's one of those, huh? Yeah, for the first time we chose ever, this week for this one. Huh? <laughs> so the first time ever, we are issuing a trigger warning. Oh boy, yeah. What's the trigger? We are going to be talking about Auschwitz. Oh yeah, no, that's uh... yeah. I think this one involves Why? all the trigger warnings. <laughs> yeah, if you can think much. of a trigger warning, it's yeah. here. Hey U- guys, mutilation. you guys remember how Nazis? That one. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Because I thought, you know, hey, we're going to be talking about, you know, the uh, Russian sleep experiment. You know, that's about human experiments. How bad could it possibly be? Very. And then I brought up Joseph Mengele. <laughs> I was like, oh, Jesus. that bad. Hey, All right. So so that listeners are aware, uh, your boy here, this is the Reuben one. He uh, <laughs> He's kind of burnt out. He's a little bit. He's a little bit. Um, emotionally and mentally exhausted this week so uh we'll see how this one goes be prepared for a roller coaster yeah we may have a couple of interludes we're not quite sure yet we're gonna see how we go here we'll figure it out yeah so anyways welcome to two towns over (laughs) it's probably the weirdest intro we've done put a little decompression in there somewhere (laughs) somewhere so i'm don i'm not 
And uh, and so I'm also not. Yeah. So yeah. there's Josh and Ruben for those. <laughs> who, who, the who, one of us yeah. has no hair. The other one has a lot of it. Yeah. yeah. You and figure it out. I I have the no hair on top, long hair on the side. Yeah. Don is like an amalgamation of. Yes. Uh, he's like the Voltron of the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I think when I start balding, I'm just I'm gonna I'm gonna be the quintessential no hair on top but ponytail. Yes, bald yeah. guy. Yep. You know? Yeah. That's... Some people can work that out. Yeah. Some people can work that. I out. don't think I'm gonna be able to, but yeah, I am not gonna a do lot it anyway. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, like I said, today's episode we are going to discuss the first creepy. No, I guess Slenderman would have been the first creepy pasta. Slenderman was actually kind of late to the yeah, game. Yeah, I remember like pastas. Ben Drowned was was kind of a proto creepy pasta way back when. Um, shit like that. <laughs> Damn it! What do you think the first creepy pasta might have been? The first creep. I mean, Jeff the Killer. I think was really early, but yeah. I don't. Creepy pastas were coming out when I like didn't have the the mental capacity to keep track of that stuff. Yep. And I guess just, what? I still don't. I just needed to keep track of keeping my hair straightened and my emo bangs flippy enough. <laughs> I feel that. Yeah. But uh, I would say Oh, what was the one? I mean the 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 hook car handor man. Yeah, that, was that was really early, like Campfire Tale. Fifties, yeah, but we're talking Creepy Pasta, which is the, the it's w- like a campfire. So for the, for those of you who are old like me, it's a Creepy Pasta is literally. If you're listening to this podcast, what the fuck? If you don't know what a Creepy Pasta is, eat my dick. But also, it's one where it's a campfire story from back when we would watch Goosebumps, but like on the internet instead. That's all. And for the record, according to Google, which is the know-it-all, the of first. Course creepypasta was ted the caver ted the, the caver, caver. Yes. i don't think i've heard of that one at all ever mm. in my life it's something about That's ted next week. His, as he and his several friends explore an increasingly frightening cave system that's going to be next week. Oh. Also, the first creepypasta <laughs> was probably like somewhere in the Dead Sea Scrolls, but we're not going to talk about that. Right. Say if you really want to like stretch the okay. definition. Let's go with the modern definition <laughs> yes. of creepypasta. To Nochtitlan or whatever had some wild shit. Like, <laughs> imagine you're a culture that actually sacrifices children. What are <laughs> your scary what stories those like? Those scary stories were like, yeah. All right. So, like I said, we're doing the Russian sleep experiment, which is. We'll just say this is the first official creepypasta that we're discussing. And yeah. now... What do you mean by official versus unofficial creepypasta? Well, like, Slenderman didn't start as a creepypasta. Slenderman started on that something rotten or something horrible, something, something awful. awful. Like, it something started unpleasant. as a story that was supposed to be a story. Right, that got a... Uh, like, a creepypasta is kind of like a campfire tale where you want it to be kind of like... Right, basically someone Somewhat believable or whatever. Yeah, like you someone wanted... writes a story on creepypasta. Another person takes that story, adds to it, or creates a story, a okay. second story. Oh, so you're talking about, like, things that actually came from a website called Creepypasta? Yes, there, yeah, is a there website, was a Creepypasta, creepypasta website. Okay. Yeah. You can go on and you can type in Jeff the Killer. Word. And you can read all the different... That's how... Some better, some worse. On the internet that I am, guys. I w- <laughs> when I was in high school, I was a very online person, and then suddenly mm-hmm. I wasn't. And now I don't know what the internet does. <laughs> so here we are. I have a podcast. You're welcome. And creepypasta, of course, for anybody who's wondering 
where the fuck that phrase comes from comes from the old copy pasta from copy and paste you'd copy and paste somebody else's bonkers probably not true story you would just find them in comment sections randomly on forums people would put them there just no context just because they were a funny story like that's actually a perfect example of when i stopped being very online is because I remember watching the like I remember seeing the stories happen on the various websites that we would be on, you know, like Newgrounds and shit. Love Newgrounds. Newgrounds was the shit. <laughs> like, um. Anyway, so I was I so I watched the transition of the language go from copy paste to copy pasta fairly quickly, and then to creepy pasta almost immediately, and then I did not know about the website. <laughs> So that's where I was. <laughs> All right. So here's the story. Russian researchers in the late 1940s kept five people awake for 15 days using an experimental gas-based stimulant. They were kept in a sealed environment to carefully monitor their oxygen intake so the gas didn't kill them, since it was toxic in high concentrations. Now, this was before closed-circuit cameras, so they had only microphones and five-inch thick glass portals into the chamber to monitor them. The chamber was stocked with books, cots to sleep on but no bedding, running water and toilet, and enough dried food to last all five for over a month. Now, the test subjects were political prisoners deemed enemies of the state during World War II. Read Jewish. <laughs> Everything was fine for the first five days. The subjects hardly complained, having been promised falsely that they would be freed if they submitted to the test and did not sleep for 30 days. The conversations and activities were monitored, and it was noted that they continued to talk about increasingly traumatic incidents in their past, and the general tone of their conversations took on a darker aspect after the four-day mark. During the Holocaust? Really? What? <laughs> now, these are Russians no way. doing those. This is already rough. Yeah, this isn't the Germans doing this experiment. Yeah, no, this well, is they're Russians. Pr prisoners of war held by the Russians. They, I, I say read Jewish, but like... <laughs> It could have been literally any kind of person if yeah. it were talking about Russia. And political prisoners, too. So Yeah, it could be Germans, Americans, Jews. It could be anybody. Who knows? Probably those Russians. <laughs> After Wouldn't five days, they started to complain about the circumstances and events that led them to where they were and started to demonstrate severe paranoia. They stopped talking to each other and began alternately whispering into the microphones and one-way mirrored portals. Oddly, they all seemed to think that they could win the trust of the experimenters by turning over their comrades, the other subjects in captivity, with them. At first, the researchers suspected that this was an effect of the gas itself. After nine days, the first of them started screaming. He ran the length of the chamber repeatedly yelling at the top of his lungs for three hours straight. He continued attempting to scream but was only able to produce occasional squeaks. The researchers postulated that he had physically torn his vocal cords. The most surprising thing about this behavior is how the other captives reacted to it, or rather didn't react to it. They continued whispering to the microphones until a second of the captives started to scream. The two non-screaming captives took the books apart, smeared page after page with their own feces, and pasted them calmly over the glass portals. The screaming promptly stopped. Wow. So I'm not going to have much this episode, guys. <laughs> <laughs> so did the whispering to the microphones. After three more days passed, we're on day 12 now. Holy fuck. The researchers checked the microphones hourly to make sure they were working since they thought it was impossible. Just real quick. I'm sorry to interrupt, but like I frequent, I've had insomnia severely since my accident. So I sometimes 
do go four days with no sleep. And like so far, everything you've been saying is like, no, I've been there. But like (laughs) you just said 12 days and then 15 days. And I just thought I would have killed myself by now. Like, that's awful. That's how Tyler Durden gets born. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. That shit's it's what it's fucked up. (laughs) That's all. So after three day, more days had passed, the researchers checked the microphones hourly to make sure they were working since they thought it was impossible that no sound could be coming from the five people inside. The oxygen consumption in the chamber indicated that all five must still be alive. In fact, it was the amount of oxygen five people would consume at a very high, heavy level of strenuous exercise. On the morning of the 14th day, the researchers did something they said they would not do to get a reaction from the captives. They used the intercom inside the chamber, hoping to provoke any response from the captives they were afraid were either dead or vegetables. They announced, we are opening the chamber to test the microphones. Step away from the door and lie flat on the floor or you will be shot. Compliance will earn one of of you your immediate freedom. To their surprise, they heard a single phrase in a calm voice respond, we no longer want to be freed. Debate broke out among the researchers and the military forces funding the research. Unable to provoke any more response using the intercom, it was finally decided to open the chamber at midnight on the 15th day. The chamber was flush of the stimulant gas and filled with fresh air, and immediately, voices from the microphone began to object. Three different voices began begging, as if pleading for the life of loved ones to turn the gas back on. I want to know what was in that gas. (laughs) The chamber was open, and soldiers sent to retrieve the test subjects. They began to scream louder than ever, and so did the soldiers when they saw what was inside. Four of the five subjects were still alive although no one could rightly call the state that any of them were in life. The food rations past day five had not been so much as touched. There were chunks of meat from the dead test subjects' thighs and chest stuffed into the drain in the center of the chamber, blocking the drain and allowing four inches of water to accumulate on the floor. Precisely how much of the water on the floor was actually blood was never determined. All four surviving test subjects also had large portions of muscle and skin torn away from their bodies. The destruction of flesh and exposed bone on their fingertips indicated that the wounds were inflicted by hand, not with teeth, as the researchers initially thought. Closer examination of the position and angles of the wounds indicated that most, if not all of them, were self-inflicted. The abdominal organs below the rib cage of all four test subjects had been removed, while the heart, lungs, and diaphragm remained in place. The skin and most of the muscles attached to the ribs had been ripped off. Okay, I'm sorry. I dissociated for a second, and I just came back. I was just kind of letting the descriptions of injuries wash over me. (laughs) But I think we just hit the part where it's going to be magic for a minute, because you just said that their organs had been removed. This is a creepypasta. It's not real. No, I get that. I I understand. But I'm saying, like... They're abdominal organs. I was waiting for the part where the demon happened, and I think we just (laughs) hit it, right? Did you just say that they had had their organs removed, but they're, they were still alive? Basically, their abdominal or their stomach, like stomach and intestines, and intestines but they still and stuff. have their heart and lungs. Okay, yeah, they would have died. Which probably. it's a lot of them could like hang out. Like they in old old times, they would eviscerate you as a punishment. And yeah, it's all all your guts and stuff. Like they'll fall out. And you can max look at them. Max three days. Don't ask me how I know that, but max three <laughs> days. All the blood vessels and organs. Remain. None of them died from shock, even. Well, heavy stimulant. Heavy stimulant. That's fair. Yeah. Uh, all the or, all the blood vessels and organs remained intact. They had just been taken out and laid on the floor. 
fanning out around the eviscerated but still living bodies of the subjects. The digestive tract of all four could be seen to be working, digesting food. It quickly became apparent that what they were digesting was their own flesh that they had ripped off and eaten over the course of days. Most of the soldiers were Russian special operatives at the facility, but still many refused to return to the chamber to remove the test subjects. They continued to scream to be left in the chamber and alternately begged and demanded that the gas be turned back on lest they fall asleep. To everyone's surprise, the test subjects put up a fierce fight in the process of being removed from the chamber. One of the Russian soldiers died from having his throat ripped out. Another was gravely injured by having his testicles ripped off and an artery in his leg severed by one of the subject's teeth. Another five of the soldiers lost their lives if you count one that committed suicide in the weeks following the incident. Hey, I don't mean to be this guy, but they fucking deserved it. Again, again, I know it's a story, but still. (laughs) In the struggle, one of the four living subjects had his spleen ruptured and he bled out almost immediately. Oh man, that feels cathartic. The medical researchers attempted to sedate him, but this proved impossible. He was injected with more than 10 times the human dose of a morphine derivative and still fought like a cornered animal, breaking the ribs and arms of one of the doctors. When the heart, when heart was seen to beat for a full two minutes after he had bled out to the point there was more air in his vascular system than blood. That sentence did not make sense. I'm sorry. I feel like I had a stroke. <laughs> Say it again. This when is going to be an editing part. So when Hart was seen to beat for full a full two minutes after he had bled out to the point there was more air in his vascular system than blood. When his heart or just his heart would have been. I don't. It just says when Hart. Uh, yeah, we'll skip this. It's like when they saw his heart beat for two minutes or something. What's yeah. the next sentence? Even after it stopped, he continued to scream and flail for more than three minutes struggling to attack anyone in reach and just repeating the word more over and over, weaker and weaker, until he finally fell silent. So basically, yeah, his heart was beating, but it, blood was slowly... Yeah. Yeah. The surviving... that's, a, that's a real thing, by the way. You, the various pieces of your heart beat independently of each other. You need the electricity to make them do the right shit at the right time in your body. But, like, you can artificial, Like, you can just put a heart in like a tank of like i don't know science goo whatever scientists use for their goos and they (laughs) and it'll just keep beating yeah yeah you know the the gooey kind the goo stuff yeah Yeah. (laughs) it's a really interesting thing i learned that i never forgot the surviving three test subjects were heavily restrained and moved to a medical facility the two with intact vocal cords continuously begged for the gas demanding to be kept awake The most injured of the three was taken to the only surgical operating room that the facility had. In the process of preparing the subject to have his organs placed back within his body, it was found that he was effectively immune to the sedative they had given him to prepare him for the surgery. I wonder if constant exposure to a wild stimulant would do that to you. (laughs) Let's find out. Oh, man, (laughs) let's do. They just just lay him down like he's a car, too, and they're like, okay, we need to put all this stuff back. It's like, ooh. (laughs) Slaps hood. This baby can hold mm, so many organs. It's like the most fucked up game of operation anybody has ever played. Yeah. It, reverse operation. Reverse <laughs> Putting operation. Putting it back. Put it back. Put it back. No, no, no. The Don't touch the sides. Go to the left, then right. Not right, left. <laughs> God. How are these? How are these intestines arranged? I don't know, man. There's miles of them. Just stuff them in there. <laughs> yeah. 
He fought furiously against his restraints when the anesthetic gas was brought out to put him under. He managed to tear most of the way through a four-inch wide leather strap on one wrist, even through the weight of a 200-pound soldier holding that wrist as well. It took only a little more anesthetic than normal to put him under, and the instant his eyelids fluttered and closed, his heart stopped. In the autopsy of the test subject that died on the operating table, it was found that his blood had tripled the normal level of oxygen. His muscles were still attached, that were still attached to his skeleton were badly torn, and he had broken nine bones in his struggle to not be subdued. Most of them were for, from the force of his own muscles he had exerted on them. The second survivor had been the first of the group of the, of the five to start, start screaming. His vocal cords destroyed, he was unable to beg or object to surgery. And he only reacted by shaking his head violently in disapproval when the anesthetic gas was brought near him. He shook his head yes when someone suggested reluctantly that they treat the surgery without anesthetic and did not react for the entire six-hour procedure of replacing his abdominal organs and attempting to cover them with what remained of his skin. Hey, hey, real quick. Another thing that's actually true. Uh, that. That can happen. Open heart surgery for certain people who are allergic to anesthesias and things is like they do it awake. They get that it like fully awake, like they get cut open and they break their ribs and they cut their fucking heart and shit while they are awake. But they have some kind of general, don't they? Yeah, but a general anesthesia is really only going to help you until they hit muscle. Uh, like when they hit the muscle, that's when it starts hurting for real. Now and I'll like, just die. Uh, yeah, I'll just die. That, yeah, I'll die. Okay. Hey, hey, listen, hey, Doc, I'm I'm good. Yeah, I'm good. Man, I'm fine. Yeah. I'm 27. It's good. I, I've 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 lived a, a hearty, if you discount you know, like 15 years. So like we're good. <laughs> like the surgeon presiding stated repeatedly that it should be medically impossible for the patient to still be alive. One terrified nurse assisting the surgery stated that she had seen the patient's mouth curl into a smile several times whenever his eyes met hers. When the surgery ended, the subject looked at the surgeon and began to wheeze loudly, attempting to talk while struggling. Assuming this must be something of, a drastic, something of drastic importance, the surgeon had a pen and pad fetched so the patient could write his message. Drugs? It was simple. Keep cutting. Damn. The other two sub test subjects were given the same hey, surgery. Hey, listen, man. Safe, 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 sane, consensual. <laughs> That's all I'm going to say. What is sane about... That's what I'm saying. This whole situation has already broken the rules. <laughs> the other two test subjects were given the same surgery, but without anesthetic as well. Although they had to be injected with a paralytic for the duration of the operation. The surgeon found it impossible to perform the operation while the patients laughed continuously. Wild. Once, this is a good one. Yeah. Hey, as a person who doesn't really like these, this is a good one. <laughs> This is one of the better written. This uh, is like really pastas. good. Yeah. It's just grounded enough in. Yeah. That it yeah. sounds like it could have actually happened. Mm -hmm. And then you hear certain aspects of it that do get into the unrealistic, like, not medically accurate. Like paranormal type shit. Yeah. Right. Once paralyzed, the subjects could only follow the, the attending researchers with their, their eyes. The paralytic cleared their system in an abnormally short period of time, and they were soon trying to escape their bonds. The moment they could speak, they were again asking for the stimulant gas. The researchers tried asking why they had injured themselves, why they had ripped out their own guts, and what 
why they wanted to be given the gas again. Only one response was given. I must remain awake. All three subjects' restraints were reinforced and they were placed back into the chamber awaiting determination as to what should be done with them. The researchers, facing the wrath of their military benefactors for having failed the stated goals of their project, considered euthanizing the surviving subjects. Probably, hey, listen, in this situation, mm, that might have been a good idea. The commanding officer in XKGB instead saw potential and wanted to see what would happen if they were put back on the gas. You know, <laughs> Josh is right. I, this is just grounded enough in like how bad people can be. Right. <laughs> to like oh. really get you. It's, oh, it's and this, really is, this is tame compared to the the Mingala stuff yeah. that we'll get oh, into. Yeah, 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 this is this is Sorry. a walk in the park. Where this is like the okay. So for those of you who may just be tuning in for this episode, this is the story time part where I comment because that's how I absorb stories and stay focused. And the next part is when we get into hey, this might have been based on a real thing. <laughs> so strap the fuck in. Oh man! In preparation, wait. I'm sorry. Uh, the researchers strongly objected to reinstating the gas, but they were overruled. In preparation for being sealed in the chamber again, the subjects were connected to an EEG monitor and had their restraints padded for long-term confinement. To everyone's surprise, all three stopped struggling the moment it, let, it was let slip that they were going back on the gas. It was obvious that at this point, all three were putting up a great struggle to stay awake. One of the subjects that could speak was humming loudly and continuously, the mute subject was straining his legs against the leather bonds with all his might. I wonder what song he was humming. Who needs sleep? No, you're never going to get it. Who needs sleep? <laughs> Tell me what's that. Sorry. No, that's he was exactly probably what humming. I wanted. Thank this you. is the song that never ends. <laughs> yes, there you go. To himself. Just like. Mm -hmm. <laughs> what would have been popular among Russian human in experiments 40s. in the 40s? Right. <laughs> I don't think the bare naked ladies existed then. But. Jimmy crack corn. <laughs> what a shame, though. It would have been so fitting. Mm -hmm. So, uh, where were we? Uh, yeah. The mute subject was straining his legs against the leather bonds uh, with all his might. First left, then right, then left again for something to focus on. The remaining subject was holding his head off his pillow and blinking rapidly. Having been the first to be wired for EEG, most of the researchers were monitoring his brainwaves in surprise. They were normal most of the time but sometimes flatlined in inexplicably. It looked as if he were repeatedly suffering brain death before returning to normal. As they focused on paper scrolling out of the brainwave monitor, only one nurse saw his eyes slip shut at the same moment his head hit the pillow. His brainwaves immediately changed to that of deep sleep, then flatlined for the last time, and his heart simultaneously stopped. The A only sleep demon. <laughs> the only remaining subject that could speak started screaming to be sealed in now. His brainwaves showed the same flat lines as the one who had just died from falling asleep. The commander gave the order to seal the chamber with both subjects inside, as well as three researchers. One of the named three immediately drew his gun and shot the comp commander point blank between the eyes. God damn. They turned the gun on the mute subject and blew his brains out as well. This is like a good story. <laughs> like, I'm like, th no, for real. This is like really well written. Like, yeah, it I am is. like. I'm amazed. <laughs> a lot of these creepy pastas were very clearly made as just like a writing prompt given to a yeah, bored like, 15 year old with a too much interest in. I'll switch to give you yeah, a, the dark web. Yeah, to give you an example, I have one. So our group chat 
for this is um, Don's name is Mandorhand Hook Cardor because <laughs> that is the level of writing I am prepared to accept from these creepy creepypastas. <laughs> <laughs> he pointed his gun at the remaining subject, still restrained to a bed as the remaining member of the medical research team fled the room. I won't be locked in here with these things. Not with you, he screamed, as the man strapped to the table, or at the man strapped to the table. What are you, he demanded. I must know. The subject smiled. Have you forgotten so easily, the subject asked? We are you. We are the madness that lurks within you all, begging to be free at every moment in your deepest animal mind. We are what you hide from in your beds at night. We are what you sedate into silence and paralysis when you go to the nocturnal heaven where you can't, where we cannot tread. The researcher paused, then aimed at the subject's heart and fired. The EEG flatlined as the subject weakly choked out, so nearly free. Sleep demon. And that's the <laughs> end of the story. That was good. Yeah. I liked that one. And I mean, I didn't like the, the part where humans did bad stuff, but I did right, like the part where it was good. <laughs> humans are going to do much worse stuff in this episode. Yeah, I was yeah. just thinking, like, the real life part's about happened. to be real rough. Yeah, it's... Well, if it's any consolation, we have about a page and a half of notes that don't have people doing bad stuff to people. That's cool. Nice. That's cool. Yeah. A whole page like and that. a half. Whole No, I, I, did I say page and a half? I meant about a page. Oh, out of 22 pages? Out of 22 pages, we have about half a page where there's not people doing bad stuff. Sweet. That's... I that's, mean, a, that's a good ratio for this show. When we're yeah. when we're discussing things that happened in the Holocaust, uh, that's yeah. I mean, the uh, first episode average. we did was about two like what twelve year old girls trying stabby. to murder their other twelve year old friend. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Welcome to Happy Time, <laughs> Happy Time Podcast, folks. <laughs> two towns over. Now we get to the fun part. We are going to talk about real death. Yeah, the awesome yeah. man that was Joseph Mengele, and the awesome place that was. Switch. So, awesome all the here. the human Being experiments that Mingala did were definitely a big inspiration for Russian sleep experiment. But also, both the Germans and the Russians were uh, doing a lot of experiments with synthetic stimulants at the time that more or less gave birth to um, what we have today as different kinds of amphetamines. Awesome. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So anybody who's taking PCP, you're Nazi sympathizers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> hey, it's, you know what? That's funny because it's kind of accurate. <laughs> <laughs> if if you're high on PCP right now while you listen to the show, then uh, you have the Nazis to thank for that. Yeah, so you are welcome. And also, get help. Yeah, yeah. Fully. Don't. Hey, listen, we're like pretty liberal in this podcast so like you know <laughs> do you as long as you're not hurting nobody else but like also if you're hurting yourself get help man M- maybe no angel dust get help yeah. man we love you get PCP, help pcp no no pcp and on the other extreme don't do ketamine the rest of you guys fuck yeah. you but like that guy he needs help we love him <laughs> is it ketamine is that like the really bad the the like tranquilizer yeah which yeah. one is that's like the horse like... tranquilizer yeah. yeah i got i got offered some of it one time and i was like mm-hmm. no that oh, should fuck you up no no <laughs> All right. Well, I stick to weed, baby. So we're going we're gonna to ease into it a little bit. We're going to talk a little bit about the early life of Joseph Mengele. Mm-hmm. Not a lot. Okay. And I will, uh, I will apologize in advance because there's a lot of German words. And oh, not, God. What? No way. I'm not German. 
So I'm gonna mangle most of these. <clears throat> mangle them. You're, I'm gonna yeah. mangle them. God yeah. damn it! You beat me to it, you motherfucker. <laughs> it was low hanging fruit, that. and we both reached for it as fast as we could. <laughs> you gotta be quicker. Now, for the first, the first mispronunciation is mis- is mispronunciation. Nice. The first mispronunciation is going to be Joseph Mengele's name because it was actually Joseph Mengele. I don't give a crap. I'm not going to sit there and say Joseph every time. There's so many different pronunciations. Like if you watch three different documentaries about Auschwitz and about Joseph Mengele, then you're going to hear three different pronunciations of Joseph Mengele. They will try and repronounce it every different way. And Just in case, guys. Right. Part of it is I feel like if they feel like if they pronounce it differently, then they feel like people will think their pronunciation is right. And the other historians were the ones that were wrong about the pronunciation all the time. So this guy's the one that knows his shit because he mm. actually knows how to pronounce Mengele. I would literally just ask a German person, hey, how do you say the word Joseph? And if they go Joseph, I would be like that. that fuck it. Then. How about that? <laughs> like. You know, we could kind of take some of the edge off of this and just call him Joey. Jo- <laughs> Joey Mangle. He doesn't deserve that. No. <laughs> Jojo? No, he's bad enough that he deserves to be remembered by his fucking name forever. Jojo Mangle. Like, don't let him rest. <laughs> if that's what you believe in, don't let this motherfucker go to sleep. Like the sleep experiment we just talked about. How's Dang. that for a goddamn segue? Ooh. Comes back around. So Joseph Mangala was born in Gunsberg, Germany nice. on March 16th, 1911. The oldest of three sons of Walburga and Karl Mengele. His two younger brothers were Karl Jr. Oh, yeah. Great. Yeah, Karl Jr. Awesome. <laughs> and Alois, I guess. A-L-O-I-S. Alois. Alois. Thank you. Their father was the founder of the Karl Mengele and Sons Company, later renamed as Mengele Agrikatechnik, which produced farming mater- uh, machinery. They're still in business. Are they really? By the way, yeah. Oh in in Germany, you, you can still buy farming equipment that uh, says Mengele on the side of it. Well, I know that Oof. Bear is yeah. big, mm-hmm. had Oof, a big like hand doofa, in, in dude. Bear aspirin. Yeah, that yeah. was another the, Nazi sympathizer. Yes. There you go. So if you're doing PCP Ford and taking baby bear aspirin, <laughs> there you go. Also, if you drive a Ford truck. Ford, yeah. yeah. Hey, guys. Uh, the, uh, not even a hot take, just a historical one. The Nazis, specifically Hitler, got a lot of his ideas from uh, the eugenics movement in America in the 20s, 30s. So, you know, if you're taking PCP and driving a Ford truck uh, and using Mengele equipment in Germany right now, you've got us to thank. So you're fucking welcome, I guess. (laughs) And using Bear to take care of your pain after using the farming. Okay. So Mengele was successful at at school and developed an interest in music, art, and skiing. You know, because... That, that leads to Nazism, apparently. Yeah. Heinz Hitler was a painter, so. Mm-hmm. He completed high school in April of 1930 and went on to study philosophy at Munich, where the headquarters of the Nazi party was located. In 1931, he joined the Der Stahlhelm, which was a paramilitary organization that was absorbed into the Nazi Sturmabeitlung or the Storm Detachment. I'm just going to read the English just translation. Just the English ones yeah, are fine. Yeah, it's Storm good. Detachment yeah. in 1934. In 1935, Mengele earned a PhD in anthropology from the University of Munich. And in January of 1937, he joined the Institute for Hereditary Biology and Racial Hygiene in Frankfurt. 
where he wow did you just say that word say that sentence again he joined the institute for hereditary biology and racial hygiene in frankfurt racial hygiene my friends (laughs) there was actually a institute for that a whole institute yeah huge on eugenics at the time even that that's even that's before um uh the nazi party started taking hold isn't it yeah Mm -hmm. yeah i thought i thought Mm so at the institute he worked for dr otmar freeherr von verscher verscher bob yep his name is bob all right i can't do that he was a german that was a german geneticist with a geneticist with a particular interest in researching twins oh no at von Verscher's, as von Verscher's assistant, Mengele focused on the genetics factor in the result that result in a cleft lip and palate or a cleft chin. His thesis on the subject earned him a cum laude doctorate in medicine from the University of Frankfurt in 1938. Both of his degrees were revoked by the issuing universities in the 1960s. So, you know, better than ever. I guess. Yeah. <laughs> Only 20 years after he Ugh. did all the shit. Yeah. And he... Uh, well, Mingala takes the uh, the the guy that he studied under who had the huge interest in twins. Mm-hmm. Mingala takes that shit straight to heart, yeah. and he becomes obsessed with twins <laughs> throughout um, the Holocaust and his time at Auschwitz. Damn. Yeah, no, I was gonna say you you said better late than never, and I think you're right because, like, you know, not to get very political on this podcast, but like America, like South Africa after apartheid had like a reconciliation legislation and i think that america could should follow suit but we haven't so i would say yeah probably better late than never even though better on time <laughs> right yeah. so in a letter of recommendation von verscher praised mengele's reliability and his ability to verbally present complex material in a clear manner the American author Robert J. Lifton notes that Mengele's published works were in keeping with the scientific mainstream of the time and would probably have been viewed as valid scientific efforts even outside of Nazi Germany. In July of 1928, Mengele married Irene Schulmbien, whom he had met while working as a medical resident in Leipzig. I hate German work. Leipzig. Leipzig. I don't care. Their only son, Rolf, was born in 1944. Mengele joined the Nazi party in 1937 and the Schutzstaffel, which was the SS or Protection Squadron, in 1938. The real bad motherfuckers. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Mm. Yep. The ideology of Nazism brought together elements of anti-Semitism, racial hygiene, and eugenics, and combined them with a pan-Germanism and territorial expansionism with the goal of obtaining more living space for the german people basically they uh they were like oh colonialism let's do that only much worse yeah well that's debatable but <laughs> well, yeah pretty bad yeah i'd say probably colonialism. top five worst col- colonialist colonialism moves of all has time a, has, so here's the thing i do know a lot about is uh the history of colonialism in europe and america and much of the world because of that and um the Nazis were terrible, probably top 10, but European colonialists have been doing way worse shit for way longer. And it's maybe not worse stuff, but they've been doing it for so long that the numbers are astronomically higher than the Nazi numbers. 
because the Nazis, uh, Russia kicked their asses, even though we have problems with Russia still. <laughs> we helped at the end, but it was more like a little brother who was like, oh, yeah, and take that as you're running away already. Mom says it's my turn to war crime. Yep. Nazi- Let your brother war crime. <laughs> <laughs> Nazi Germany attempted to attain the new this new territory by attacking Poland and the Soviet Union, intending to deport or kill the Jews and Slavs living there, who were considered by the Nazis to be inferior to the Aryan master race. Mengele reser- received basic training in 1938 with the Light Infantry Mountain Troop and was called up for service in the Nazi armed forces in June of 1940, some months after the outbreak of World War II. He soon volunteered for medical service in the Waffen-SS, which was the combat arm of the SS, where he served with the rank of second lieutenant in a medical reserve battalion until November of 1940. He was next assigned to the SS Race and Settlement Main Office in Ponznan, evaluating candidates for Germanism, Germanization. Sorry. In June of 1941, Mangala was posted in U- to Ukraine, where he was awarded the Iron Cross Second Class in January of 1942. He joined the 5th SS Panzer Division of Viking as a battalion medical. I hate these German words. <laughs> as a battalion medical officer, after rescuing two German soldiers from a burning tank, he was decorated with the Iron Cross First Class, the Wound Badge in Black, and the Medal for the Care of the German People. He was declared unfit for further active service in mid-1942 when he was seriously wounded in action near Rostov-on-Don. Following, following his recovery... He was transferred to the headquarters of the SS Race and Settlement Main Office in Berlin, at which point he resumed his association with von Verscher, who was now director of the Kaiser Wilhelm Institute for Anthropology, Human Heredity, and Eugenics. Cool. Now, Ma- the, the Iron Cross was essentially their equivalent of like the of American Honor. Medal of Honor, yeah. right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So figure at this point he's decorated as fuck oh yeah like he's Mm -hmm. by far one of the most well decorated soldiers if we were talking about a world war ii american soldier right now uh some of y'all would have like just the craziest freedom boner you've ever had right hearing about this man (laughs) like you're hearing bald eagle screech outside as you hear the keep that in mind that the german people at the time were feeling those same things about these people at, when they were alive. Yeah, oh shit, Mengele came back. He saved a couple soldiers from a burning tank. He's a goddamn hero. Right. What's he going to do to help us? That's what they're thinking about. That's what they're thinking about. So in April of 1943, Mengele was promoted to the rank of captain, and this promotion shortly preceded his transfer to Auschwitz in May 30th of 1943. So here we go. Yep. Buckle in, folks. It's the time yeah. before it. Have a drink. <laughs> During his time in Auschwitz, Joseph Mengele was not the only physician there. Now, it is popularly believed that he was the highest ranking physician at the camp, but this is not the case. That distinction belonged to SS Captain Dr. Edward Wirth's. Wirth's position as garrison physician made him responsible in all medical matters for the entire camp complex. Now, Mengele began his career at Auschwitz in the spring of 1943 as the medical officer responsible for Birkenau's quote-unquote gypsy camp. Several weeks after the gypsy camp's liquidation, in November of 1943, Mengele undertook a new position as chief camp physician of Auschwitz II, 
liquidation here meaning they killed everybody at the camp probably yeah yeah li- liquidation mean well some of them i think they would ship off to other camps if there was some kind of value like definitely anyone who was a twin and had not yet been experimented on would have been uh moved to another camp although most of them got the the mingle treatment pretty fucking quick yeah so um much less jokes in this half yeah yeah the pseudo-medical experiments he, Dr. Horst Schumann, and Dr. Carl Klauberg, among others, carried out included, for example, tests on sterilization using iodine, x-rays, or silver nitrate. And one of the videos that I watched, they actually would have people filling out forms, and unbeknownst to the people filling out the forms, across the desk, someone had an x-ray machine pointing at their genitals, basically sterilizing them while they sat there filling out forms yeah wow. so they the yeah. the forms themselves weren't actually that important yeah they specifically made forms that would take um took a different amount of time and a different amount of radiation for men and for women so the women's forms would take them approximately two minutes to fill out and they would be having the x-ray machine aimed at their mm-hmm. genitals for the entire two minutes and for men, I believe it was three minutes. Yeah. Like, y'all, we as humans have done some truly fucked up shit. Yeah. The kind of things you only really get to see with hindsight, too. Yeah. Which, you know, most of the German people... I mean, I people... feel like we should have known that at the time this was fucked up. But, like, yeah, there are definitely human experiments in history where you're like, damn, that's crazy that they did that but then also like but if i had lived at that time and not had the ideas about ethics that i do maybe i would have been okay with it you know well and a lot of them deep down like they it's not that they knew it was wrong it's that they knew that if people found out they would be punished so they believed that what they were doing was right in some warped sense that's why i say that humans have done crazy shit Right. We always do it and we think, this is right. I am helping. I mean, unless we're like fucked up for real, like in the head, like sociopaths or psychopaths, but like they really thought this will help us. And in cases like bare aspirin, they were right, but like, was it worth it? I don't think so. Yeah. Some other things that they did was castration of the subhumans or artificial insemination to spread the Aryan race. And subhumans is their words, not yep. mine, obviously. Now, That's there were a other... big part of genocide that a lot of people don't usually talk about is mm. breeding them out. Yeah. Yep. Now, there were other common practices. Ooh, actually, this is a perfect time to talk about that, too. Uh, I have a lot of my friends are like, yo, yeah, no, within 100 years or whatever, everybody's going to be brown. Well, here's the thing. The year I was born, 1992, it was only like 17% of married couples among all races in America were multiracial. That's not counting black and white. That's like Chinese and Vietnamese, like for real, like 17%. And they're like on the alt-right side, we call it now, it's there is a concerted effort to have as many white babies as they can specifically to prevent that from happening so like until we solve that issue those two issues that's never ever gonna happen 
Like I've never held that in my head or heart. Like everybody will be brown in a hundred years or whatever. No, 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 no. Humans are worse than that. Humans are way, way worse than that. We're good too, but like in certain ways, we are just awful. We're just animals that have words. That's all. Yeah. So there were other common practices such as euthanasia, genetic manipulation, racial investigation, and procedures as cruel as the injection of chemicals in the eyes to change their color or even create artificial Siamese twins. Yeah, that shit didn't work. Wow. These experiments were made with live patients whose organs were often removed with no anesthetic. Many of the prisoners used in these tests died during the procedures. You know how the you know how the creepy pasta was was really detailed, mm-hmm. and this is just vague. There's a reason. It's because the shit like he would not we wouldn't be able to have this podcast if he had to describe everything that happened to real humans. Yeah, I could in real life. Yeah, like we can read a creepy pasta about dudes getting probably by a sleep demon, getting their <laughs> organs removed and stuff, but like. If you talk about it in real life, organs getting removed with no anesthesia just to see if they'll die from shock sometimes. Like, it, the shit is crazy. It's wild what we do to each other. Just yeah. even probably to this day that we just don't know about until, again, 30, 40 years in the future, we'll get that shit released or, or somebody will uncover it and we'll be like, God damn. <laughs> Every time. I want to mention, too, like, Mingala, specifically Mingala's experiments held, like, no medical or scientific value at all. You've probably heard about some of them in school because I remember you, the iodine ones and the eye color ones. And like they knew that that shit was not going to work. Yeah. They were just like, let's just torture some Jewish people. Like, right. It's almost like a wild. childish curiosity of, yeah. oh, what happens if I sew two people together and try and force them to be a Siamese twin? Yeah. yeah. What like, happens if I pull the wings the, off a fly? Right. Exactly. What right. happens if I pull the legs off this grasshopper? Right. Yes. Yeah. There were certain other doctors and experiments that even though they were some of the most unethical things that have ever happened in human history, they held scientific and medical value that still gets yeah. used today. I mean, right. there are scientists today who there's like a big debate among, you know, medical science of like, when is it okay for you to start messing with a human body? Like, they have developed so many technologies to simulate what, you know, surgery is like for surgeons and shit so that we don't have to experiment on real humans who might die. Like, and there's still a, there's still a, in the medical and, um, I don't know, Pfizer and shit like pharmaceutical pharmaceutical mm-hmm. field there's a big debate still to this day of like when are human trials okay right and that's a good question when are human trials okay because I know for damn sure I'm not going to take anything that's just like we did this with rabbits it's like yeah but like humans though how do we know like, unless you pay me a lot of money a <laughs> lot of money depending on what it is a fuck ton of money I'll do anything for a $20 Walmart gift card. Oh, well, sure. <laughs> so meet a like Reuben and make us a Siamese yeah. twin for a couple hundred bucks. Yeah. Yeah, well, hey, man, At that's least like Starbucks. three cents off gas for gift card. <laughs> True. <laughs> True. Um, so, not surprisingly, many of the prisoners used in these tests died during the procedures. 
Many others were murdered after the completion to check the effect that they had had on their interiors. The few survivors were mutilated or otherwise incapacitated and marked for life thanks to the SS doctor's cruelty. So approximately 30 physicians, approximately 30 physicians served at Auschwitz while Mengele was assigned to the camp. As a required part of their rounds, medical staff performed selections of prisoners on the ramp. These, were, these selections were determined, would determine who from among the mass of humanity arriving at Auschwitz would be retained for work and who would perish immediately in the gas chambers. Selections of mass Jewish transports took place on three railroad unloading platforms. SS doctors made most of the decisions about who was qualified for labor and who was killed immediately. The first unloading ramp, located adjacent to the main camp, was in use throughout the period when the camp was in operation and mainly served the main camp. By the way, Auschwitz was multiple, like, miles, square miles. Yeah, in huge. Multiple it was different huge. locations. It was like a city. Yeah. Uh, this was where the first transport of 728 prisoners from Tarnow was unloaded on June 14, 1940. Later transports of Poles... Uh, also arrived here, as did from 1942, some mass transports of Jews. It was also at this ramp during the years 1941 to 1942, before the building of the Buna subcamp, that the prisoners constructing the Buna Werki, which is uh, was a plant, uh, boarded the train that carried them to labor and disembarked on their return to the camp. Now, the second ramp went into operation in 1942. It was located on the grounds of the Oswegum Freight Station, if I mispronounce that, fuck off, between the Auschwitz and Birkenau camps. This is where the majority of the mass transports of Jews arrived between 1942 and May of 1944, as well as the mass transports of gypsies who were imprisoned by in the Birkenau's camp be beginning in February of 1943. Gypsies here meaning Romani people? I right, believe. yeah. At first, selections of mass Jewish transports took place sporadically. Only after July 4th of 1942 did selection take place regularly. Almost all the mass transports of Jews to Auschwitz after that date were subject to selection. Now, the third ramp was built in, from 1943 inside the Birkenau camp and went into operation May of 1944 in connection with the anticipated arrival of transports of Hungarian Jews. The railroad spur along this ramp ran as far as gas chambers and crematoria two and three. Aside from the 430,000 Hungarian Jews, 67,000 Jews from the Tots ghetto and some from the transports from the ghetto in Terezin from Slovakia were unloaded at this camp. From this point on, mass selections of Jews took place inside the camp before the eyes of thousands of prisoners. And Mengele wanted to be there for every selection. He didn't trust anybody else to pick the right subjects for his fucked up useless experiments. So he himself wanted to make sure that he was present for yes. all of the selections, especially to look for twins and dwarves. Yes. Wow. And his big thing, he would like, he enjoyed it. Yeah, no. He that's loved clear. being yeah. at the selections. They, yeah. There's stories of him whistling as he walked around. Yes. With smiles on his face. The worst people. Yes. So transports from Poles of Poles from Warsaw during the uprising, uh, sent to Auschwitz, by the way, of transit camp Pruskow were also unloaded here. 
All three ramps also served as embarkation points for prisoners transferred from Auschwitz to subcamps and other concentration camps. So the selection procedure carried out on the ramps was as followed. Families were divided in t- after leaving the train cars, and all the people were lined up in two columns. The men and older boys were in one column, and the women and children of both sexes in the other. Next, the people were led to the camp doctors and other camp functionaries conducting selection. They judged the people standing before them on sight alone, and sometimes eliciting a brief declaration as to their age and occupation, decided whether or not they would live. Age was one of the principal criteria for selection. As a rule, all children under the age of 16, and then after 1944, under the age of 14, and the elderly were immediately sent to die. As a, as a statistical average, about 20% of the people in transports were chosen for label, labor. They were Y'all, led to the... They were trying to exterminate a people. Yeah. That's, Just, why, that's why the children and the elderly were typically killed first. They specifically targeted the future and the past. Like, yeah. like I, that is so insidious. Yeah, that's why the Nazis have that special place in everybody's hearts today. That's why, that's why Wolfenstein is just such a good game. <laughs> well, My Lima. You know, I'm going to go home, I think, and I'm going I'm to replay New Colossus. <laughs> uh, just in one sitting, just because I will. I'm going to play it on easy, too. Just so I can chop off as many Nazi limbs as I can. Does that end with the, the mechanical Hitler? Or is that... Oh, am I really I, showing that, my that age? Might, I, I, I think, think that's, that's you showing original. your age, Don. Yeah. 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 Okay. So, as a statistical average, about 20% of the people in transfers were chosen for labor. They were led into the camp, registered as prisoners, and assigned the next numbers in the various series. Of the approximately 1.1 million Jews deported to Auschwitz, about 200,000 were chosen in this way. The remainder, about 900,000 people, were killed in the gas chambers. Jesus Christ. <clears throat> SS men... Ex- That's ex- almost a sixth of all the Jews yeah. and other people that were killed. That's specifically at Auschwitz. It, yeah. There's a reason that the only concentration camp that you know the name of off the top of your head right now before you heard the names of any of them is Auschwitz. Yeah. It was especially notorious. And I just want everybody to remember that the global community knew about this. We knew this shit was happening and we specifically they, did not do anything for like a while. Yeah. So the the global community knew about the existence of work camps. They didn't know about the final solution of attempting to exterminate the Jewish people. They didn't know the extent of all of the human experimentation that was happening behind closed doors because nobody was leaving alive to tell the rest of the world. That's fair. But also, at a certain point, Hitler was very, very open about that. And also, like, a countrywide scale is not something that's really easy to hide, even with World War II technology, World War I technology even. It's really hard to hide something like that. And when the global community did find out even a little bit about, like, oh, they're doing crazy fucked up shit over there, it still took them, I think, way too long to decide to do anything about it as a 
community. They were trying because the war was already underway, sure, and most sure. of these camps were in German territory, which they were already attempting to take and liberate. Right. That's what I mean. That's all very fair, but like, I'm just saying that it it was. Germany versus a bunch of different disparate countries. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then when they found out about all this, it still took them way too long to like form as the allies. You know, it, yeah. it's I just think that uh, sometimes humans are slow to care about cruelty happening. That's true. There is also the issue of denial. Yes. That happened at the time. So not to mention, like, again, we mentioned Bear Aspirin, Ford was in America at the time. He was a great Hitler sympathizer. Like, eugenics was like a thing you were into mm-hmm. at the time. Like, all these things contribute to that. And as far as the human experimentation stuff, there were stories that circulated, um, especially in Germany at the time, but people refused to believe that something so incredibly heinous was happening in their country. Yeah, They, yeah. they simply could not believe that uh, other humans would do that to other humans, even though they were being trained to view them, to view the Jewish people and all the other prisoners of war as animals. Yeah. Livestock. Yep. Yep. And the reason that we hear about heinous uh, war crimes today and we go, yeah, I, I can believe that's happening is because we have the hindsight of knowing that it happened in World War II. I would also say uh, that a lot of this stuff is also very reminiscent of like the transatlantic slave trade, specifically in America, where Mm -hmm. slave owners, there were stories, like you just said, circulating rumors of slave owners doing this stuff to their slaves. And nobody wanted to believe them. Because nobody thought that anybody could be so irresponsible with their livestock. Like, that's the part that really gets me, that really grinds my goddamn gears. Is like, we were, we're able to convince ourselves that other humans are not that. Right. And especially, uh, specifically in regards to like slave owners in America, people didn't want to believe it because like, oh, that's Joe, that's my neighbor. Joe yeah. would never. Yeah. Yeah, Joe would never do that. Gary's a sweetheart. Gary's a damn sweetheart. He'd never do something like that. You said Paul did what? I mean, look it up. There's a there's a there's one very famous story now of a slave owner. It was a woman who was doing like Delphine. Yes, Delphine torture house shit. Yeah, yeah. Literally, she was doing stuff so bad that they took her right. To own slaves away. She got it back later because that's how it works. But like they took it away. We're talking about shit so bad. They made an American horror story series around her. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. Like, no, we did. uh, My point is just that we did shit just as bad. We, we fucked it up just as bad. Maybe not for it. Maybe not as openly, but we definitely did some of this shit. So after they were chosen, SS men escorted the men, women, and children selected for death to the gas chambers. Now, initially, the gas chambers were in crematorium one and bunkers one and two. From the spring of 1943, it was to the gas chambers in crematoria two, three, four, and five. 
So they had built three or four more crematorias. Absolutely insane. Trucks carried those too infirm to walk, and the rest marched. These people had to disrobe before entering the gas chambers. In crematorium one, they undressed either in the yard, surrounded by a wall, or in the antechamber. Wooden barracks were erected for this purpose at bunkers one and two, and there were special undressing rooms at crematoria two through five. That's crazy to me. That's crazy. That they bothered to build special undressing rooms? Yes. Part of it was the illusion, I think. They didn't want people panicking when they yeah. were going to the gas chambers, and they would tell them that uh, they were going to showers because yeah. they, they were so dirty yeah. from the trip because right. they would get packed into these train cars like sardines. Yeah. And they would I, that does make sense. just reek. And that was something that That's did get mentioned. That's the thing, mentioned. though, is like, we are so clever. And yet we use it to trick other people into walking into goddamn gas chambers. Right. What are we doing? So when large numbers of transports were arriving in 1944, the people assigned to death in this gas chamber in Crematorium 5 also disrobed in the open air. After the Sonder Commandos was quartered in the undressing room in Crematorium 4, the people sent to die there undressed in a specially constructed barracks. The SS men kept people fated to die unaware of what awaited them. They were told that they were being sent to the camp, but that they were first had to undergo disinfection and bathe. After the victims undressed, they were taken into the gas chambers, locked in, and killed with Zyklon B gas. After they were killed, Sonder Commando prisoners dragged the corpses out of the gas chambers. They cut off the women's hair and removed all metal, dental work, and jewelry. Then they burned the corpses in pits, on pyres, or in the crematorium furnaces. Until September of 1942, some of the corpses were buried in mass graves. These corpses were burned from September to November of 1942. Oh, it gets worse. I hate to say. Bones that did not burn completely were ground to patter, ground to powder with pestles and then dumped along with their ashes in the rivers Sola and Vistula and in nearby ponds or strewn in the fields as fertilizer or used as landfill on uneven ground and in marshes. One survivor described the links that the Nazis would go to when there was no more room at the camp. I'll never forget the, in the barracks, he said. It was next to the pits. They were throwing children alive into fiery pits. We saw the flames and heard the screaming. They couldn't be bothered to even kill the infants. They had no hair or gold teeth, so they threw them on top of the trucks with dead bodies for burning. It still gives me sleepless nights. So they were burning children and babies yeah. alive. Yep. Ruth Elias... Um, of Tel Aviv said that she gave birth to a daughter at Auschwitz and that Mengele gave the order to bandage my breasts to prevent nursing. He wanted to do research, I don't know what to call it, she said, on how long a newborn can live without food. No, he just wanted to starve a baby and watch. Yeah. Yeah, he Elias wanted to said, see how the, how the baby would react for quote-unquote scientific, mm -hmm. but none of it was that. He was just a sadistic, demented fuck. Um, Elias said that she tried to feed the baby with half-chewed bread wrapped in a piece of linen dipped in coffee, but the baby lost weight and finally it couldn't cry, only whimper. About a week after the birth, Mengele told her to get ready to move from the barracks. She said she assumed she was going to the gas chamber. A Jewish doctor told her that the child could not live and suggested that Mengele might lose interest in her and not order her killed if the baby was dead. She talked me... She talked to me in an angel's voice, Elias said. She said the doctor told her, you were young and can live. Your child cannot live. She talked and talked and talked until I did it. 
she said. I murdered my own child. She said she used an injection of morphine that the Jewish doctor had given her. Mengler arrived the next morning. He didn't want me, she said. He wanted the child, but he couldn't find the corpse among the pile of corpses outside the barracks. <clears throat> Perhaps the most harrowing testimony came from Vera Kring Kriegel. I... Mm. Who recounted how she watched Auschwitz guards crush the skulls of babies with rifle butts. For 10 days, Kriegel said she was cramped in a small cage with her twin sister. Mengele came every day and injected them with a solution that caused violent pain for tests. And I saw a collection of hundreds of human eyes pinned to the wall. That was something that wasn't mentioned. He would collect the eyes of the twins and put them up on his wall as a collection. Um, she said, later I told my sister that I had just seen a whole wall of eyes looking at me. She said the only thing that kept her alive in her two... Can you imagine... Can you even imagine walking from the most horrible thing you've experienced in your life or in anyone's life into a chamber full of actual human eyeballs staring at you? Yeah. Can you imagine? Like, no, I, I would hear. lose my faith no. in God. Like, I would, if I was a Jewish person, like a religious Jewish person, I would lose my faith. I would literally... No, I would gain faith. God is real and he is punishing us. Like, that's what that means. Can you imagine walking into a room full of human eyes? Even a little bit? No. So there's what you say as far as uh, you would lose your faith in response to something like this. There's I don't know if this is true. It's something that floats around a lot. But there was a phrase carved into a bench. I believe at Auschwitz, it could have been another concentration camp that said um, something to the effect of if God is real, then he will have to ask me for forgiveness. Yeah, no, that's how I'm feeling. It's like, <laughs> it's like if I, if I, yeah, that's exactly right. That's exactly right. And He's going to have to ask for forgiveness. That right. means a lot more coming from uh, a Jewish person, too, because they are incredibly devoted and committed to their faith. Yeah. So having having a Jewish person express a sentiment of not only having potentially lost their faith, but having a disdain for God no, is yeah, that's like a level of that's like a level of that's like you haven't lost faith. I, I, I believe in God still, if that's the case, like if I'm saying he's going to I know that he's I'm going to see him when I die. The problem is he lied if this is real. Right. Like, that's insane. I just, I'm just stuck. We're going to have to take a break because I'm really just stuck imagining, like, I've been through some shit, but, like, I have never in my in existence even thought of, like, half the shit these men did for, like, fun, it seems like. Yeah. And don't ever forget, he just said that German soldiers were crushing skulls of babies with rifles. That means these men were chilling, like multiple, ba like they got used to it. That's, that's beyond, they were just doing their job. No, no, no. Every single one of these motherfuckers is complicit. And that's, that's why the Nuremberg trials later on too, is because, I mean, that's, that's how we have the, the distinction now where I was just following orders isn't an excuse. Yeah, that's not an excuse to throw a baby on a fire 
like, certain things are too heinous to be excused by I was ordered to do it. Yeah, I don't care who ordered you to do shit. Like, you know what I'm saying? All right, guys, we may or may not have told you when the breaks happened, but this time I'm going to tell you that I just took a break. So we're going to try to finish this out without dying <laughs> of sadness. So this may come as a shock to you, but Joseph Mengele was referred to as the angel of death. What? Sometimes no he, way. Sometimes he was called the white angel for his coldly cruel demeanor on the ramp. He is, he is associated more, like we said, he is associated more closely with the selection duty than any other medical officer at Auschwitz. Wow. Although by most accounts he performed this task no more often than any of his colleagues, the association is partially explained by his post-war notoriety. The pervasive image of Mengele at the ramp is, in so many survivors' accounts, has also to do with the fact that Mengele often appeared off-duty in the selection area whenever train loads of new prisoners arrived at Auschwitz, searching for his twins. Yeah, like, this man liked to torture people, like, enjoyed hurting people right. Didn't so just enjoy much. it, he was passionate about yes, it. Yes, like, he, he was, yes, passionate about hurting people so much that when he was off work, like, hey, if you love your job, you get off work, you still need a vacation. This motherfucker would go in on his off hours <laughs> to do more torture. Yeah, well, you do what you love and you never work a day in your life. Yeah. Well, that's fair. <laughs> it's going to be the oh only God. joke that happens during the, the rest of this horrific discussion. It's because we just got back from a break. Absolutely wild. <laughs> so everyone, I just want to point out that it was great having Josh for two episodes of Two Towns Over. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to have to cancel him now. Hey, we made the Saul Slenderman joke, so who's in the wrong here? That's Yeah, that's true. Oddly enough, both jokes are about Jewish people. But yeah, anyways. I wonder why. <laughs> We're so awful as humans (laughs) (laughs) okay so mangler became interested in using twins for medical research through his mentor mentor verscher verscher himself was famous for experimenting with identical and fraternal twins in order to trace the genetic origins of various diseases during the 1930s twin research was seen as an ideal tool in weighing the factors of human heredity and environment Mengele and his mentor had performed a number of legitimate research protocols using twins as test subjects throughout the 1930s. Now, at Auschwitz, with full license to maim or kill his subjects, Mengele performed a broad range of agonizing and often lethal experiments with Jewish and Roma or Gypsy twins, most of them children. Good Lord. After taking all the body measurements and other living data that could be he could from selected twins Mengele and his collaborators dispatched them with a single injection of chloroform to the heart of about 1000 pairs of twins experimented upon only about 200 pairs survived today or well survive led by physician Joseph Mengele the program turned twins like Eva and Miriam to people uh, well obviously to humans that to this humans. man yeah. experimented on into unwilling medical subjects and experiments that exposed about 3,000 children at Auschwitz-Birkenau to disease, disfigurement, and torture under the guise of medical research into illness, human endurance, and more. Twins were separated from the other prisoners during the massive selections that took place at the camp's massive train platform and whisked off to the laboratory to be examined. Mangala usually used one twin as a control and subjected the other to everything from blood transfusions to forced inseminations. 
injections with disease, amputations, and murder. Those that died were dissected and studied. Their surviving twins were killed and subjected to the same scrutiny. So basically you would have one twin that you did horrific things to and the other one that you left mostly alone as a control. Mm -hmm. So then they would cut them both open and play spot the difference. Yeah, basically. Either way, they they were both killed (laughs) in the end. Uh, Twin studies had helped scientists like Mengele's mentor justify what they saw as necessary discrimination against people with, quote unquote, undesirable genetic characteristics. Jews, Roma people, LGBTQ people, people with disability and others. But the twins experiments that had helped create the eugenics movement would, ironically, lead to the downfall of eugenics itself. For eugenicists like Mengele, identical twins were the perfect research subjects. Since they share a genome, scientist reason, and physical or behavioral differences in twins, any, I'm sorry, any physical or behavioral differences in twins could be due in behavior, not genetics, or good grief, could be due to behavior and not genetics. Eugenicists held genetics responsible for undesirable characteristics and social conditions like criminality and poverty. They believe that selective breeding could be used to encourage socially acceptable behavior and wipe out undesirable tendencies. By the time twin research began at Auschwitz in the 1940s, the use of twins in scientific experimentations was decades old. Though prior twin experiments had produced growing evidence that environment was as important as genetics, eugenics researchers clung to the idea that they could unlock new insights into nature and nurture through studying them. Ottmar von Verscher had significant power and influence in Nazi Germany. He authorized texts that influenced Nazi policies towards Jews, Roma people, and others, arguing that race had a biological basis and that inferior people could taint the Aryan race. An advocate for forced sterilization and selective breeding, von Verscher collected genetic information on large numbers of twins, studying the statistics in an attempt to determine whether everything from disease to criminal behavior could be inherited. Like his mentor, Mengele was vehemently racist and a devoted member of the Nazi party. At first, Mengele was in charge of the Roma camp there, but in 1944, the entire remaining population of the camp was murdered in the gas chamber. So that was the the liquidation of the the gypsy camp. Wow. I mean, again, I can't say anything other than like, what the fuck, man? Why, why? Why do we do things like this? Because we are evil. Well, and especially... You have an evil person like Joseph Mengele, and then you give him state-sanctioned permission to do absolutely whatever he wants to people, and you give him a whole supply of those people. And so, regardless of whether or not Mengele had been given the station that he was given during World War II and at Auschwitz he would have done horrific things to people. I just don't oh, think yeah. he would have gotten to do so many horrific things to so many people. Definitely. Yeah, definitely. It would have been, we would have been talking about a serial killer. Right. Instead of a, a an actual monster, we like would an be, actual demon. Right. We would be talking about uh, the German version of Jack the Ripper. Right. Right now. We yes. wouldn't be talking about, Dr. Joseph Mengele of the Nazi SS. We'd be talking about the the, the notorious twin slayer or right. some shit yeah. instead of 
again, a literal demon. Not like the sleep demon, but like a real one. You were infatuated with this. I love the sleep really demon. He's my friend. Really love the idea of the sleep demon. It's great. <laughs> you should write a creepypasta about I it. I shouldn't. <laughs> <laughs> it would be very politically charged. <laughs> so Jonah Lax, who was the surviving twin that mentioned the wall of eyes. Yeah, that um, again. Wow. You, you're going to make gonna Ruben dream about that. cigarette. I know. I'm going to dream about that. That's horrifying. That right. Now Joseph Mingala is your sleep demon. No. No, the sleep <laughs> demon is friendly. All he does is oh, remove your organs. Is he? <laughs> all he does is take That's out all. your organs. I That's guess all. by sheer comparison, the sleep demon, the sleep is, demon is a, a friendly guy compared to Mingala. <laughs> compared That's to fair Mingala. enough. Yeah. Like, <laughs> <laughs> the sleep demon is a goddamn care bear compared to this man. <laughs> this actual human. Let's never forget that. Yeah. Um, but she mentions another experiment, um, in which, uh, we had, we had, we had another joke in there. Yeah. Yeah. We, we, we fit another joke in. And that... we've got another recurring thing. The cuddly sleep demon. Yeah. Oh man. Ruben's best friend. Right yeah. Sleep, <laughs> sleep, de- is sleep demon opening for ghost strokes or the other way around? What do you think? <laughs> <laughs> no, sleep demon is what ghost strokes were calling themselves when they were just <laughs> practicing we were in, in the garage <laughs> before. <laughs> we are sleep demon. <laughs> Then they had a style change. Yeah. And not everybody liked it. <laughs> they lost one member. We're going to have to do like a Spinal Tap mockumentary Fully. one day. About yes. Ghost We're going to have to do like a two-hour episode, like a two-parter on <laughs> the, the history of Sleep Demon, who then became the Ghost, ghost Strokes. strokes. <laughs> okay. Um, but she... Re- <laughs> that's funny. Yeah. <laughs> torture. Um, well, she says the pair, her and her sister, and more than 100 other twins were given injections of bacteria that caused Noma disease, which is an infection of the mouth or genitals, which causes boils and often turns gangrenous. Jesus. Some twins began, became feverish. Some twins died, she said. She also remembers Mangala reciting or reacting angrily when twins went missing. Once, when this had happened, she stared him out to prove, I'm sorry, she stared him out to prove he could not completely dominate her. Moti Alon, another wow. survivor. That's a, that's a power move. That's a power move. Mm-hmm. And we are here for it. Staring down the demon of Auschwitz, yeah. like, just to prove to him. A man they called literally the angel of death. Right. Yeah. Literally staring down the angel of death in a staring contest just to prove that that's one department where he does not have control like over you. her and whoever wrote that God was going to have to ask them for forgiveness hard like <laughs> heat. Moti Alon, um, another survivor who arrived in Auschwitz at the age of nine in 1944, remembers being forced to watch a dwarf and a Roma woman being made to have sex. The- Let's not forget. These people convinced a woman to murder her own baby, and it probably wasn't the only time. Yeah. And to be perfectly honest, it was probably the best thing that could have happened to that baby. Yep. Right, honestly. Let's yeah. let's just never forget that these people put humans humans put other humans in a situation where the best option was murder your own child. Euthanize your own yeah. child rather than let them go through what you've already seen happen here. Absolutely fucking mind boggling. The Mangala twins received nominal protection from some of the ravages of life at Auschwitz. 
They were not selected for the gas chambers. They lived in separate quarters and were given additional food and medical care. In exchange, though, they became the unwilling subjects of inhumane experiments at the hands of Mengele. For Ava, another survivor, life as a Mengele twin meant sitting naked for hours and having her body repeatedly measured and compared to Miriam's, her sister. She withstood injections of an unknown substance that caused severe reactions. As twins, I knew that we were unique because we were never permitted to interact with anybody in other parts of the camp. But I didn't know I was being used for genetic experiments. And one of the saddest Every things, time you say a sentence, it's the most horrible thing I've heard. Well... And I know most of this. You know, it's like that bad. Right. Um, another thing that I didn't actually put in the notes was that when he was done with the twins, and he would actually walk them to the gas chamber. Personally. Personally. Yeah, no. And I'm... would treat it as a game. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. He had a name for it, didn't uh, he? Ride the chimney or... Specifically with children, too. He would walk them there and he would make make a game out of it where they were like halfway playing tag or something like that. I don't remember exactly how it worked. Yeah. Mm. Eugenics itself was rooted in twin research. Francis Galton, a British... Again, every sentence you say, (laughs) it's the most horrible thing I've ever heard. Yeah. Uh, Francis Galton, a British scientist who coined the term eugenics in 1883, had used twin uh, studies in his earliest eugenics research. Deeply influenced by his half-cousin Charles Darwin's book, The Origin of the Species, Galton became intrigued by how and whether humans passed along traits like intelligence and preoccupied with the potential for breeding desirable genetic traits into humans. For Galton and other eugenics researchers, twins held the key to understanding which characteristics were genetic and which ones were environmental. <clears throat> Using data collected via self-reported questionnaires, Galton studied dozens of pairs of twins to determine how they were similar and different. He concluded that similarities between twins were due to their genetics. The other, or the one element that varies in different individuals but is cons- constant in each of them is the natural tendency, he wrote. It inevitably asserts itself. Now, Galton's, though Galton's twin research was biased and seriously flawed by modern standards, it helped for the foundation of the eugenics movement. It also convinced other eugenicists that twins were the ideal way to study nature and nurture. Nature versus nurture. But though eugenicists hip- hypothesized that twins could help them create more perfect humans, the results of twin experiments kept confounding scientists. In the 1930s... Yeah, it's almost like if your premise is fully bullshit, the experiments won't work. But they're going to keep trying. Of course they will. Yeah. Uh, In 1930s, for example... That is one of the things we admire about science, is that it keeps trying. But these people aren't doing science. They're doing torture. Right. Or at least unethical questionnaires. (laughs) In the 1930s, uh, a group of American researchers who compared twins found a large variance in IQ in twins who had been raised apart, but nonetheless shared similar personalities and behavior, behavioral traits. Now, Mengele had a wide variety of other research interests. Among these was a fascination with heterochromia, a condition in which the irises of an individual's eyes differ in coloration. Mm. Throughout his stay in Auschwitz, Mengele collected the eyes of his murdered victims, in part to fur- furnish research material to colleague Karen Magnuson, a KWI researcher of eye pigmentation. He himself also conducted several experiments in an attempt to unlock the secret of artificially changing eye color. These motherfuckers literally stole eyeballs. Yeah. He also zealously documented in camp inmates the progression of the the Noma disease, 
like I said, the gangrene, which destroys the mucous membrane of the mouth and other tissues. Mangala firmly endorsed, I know this is going to surprise you. No, no yeah. way. But Mangala firmly endorsed Nazi racial theory <gasps> and engaged in a wide spectrum of experiments which aimed to illustrate the lack of resistance among Jews or Roma view. I'm sorry, of Roma or Roma. He also attempted to demonstrate the degeneration of Jewish and gypsy blood through the documentation of physical oddities and the collection of harvesting and harvesting of tissue samples and body parts. Many of his test subjects died as a result of the experimentation were murdered or were murdered in order to facilitate post-mortem examination. Like most scientists that worked the con- in the concentration camp environment, Mengele en- enlisted the aid or trained medical professionals among the prisoner population to perform the more grisly or mundane tasks and to carry out autopsies upon the dead victims. Much of our early knowledge of Mengele's activities at Auschwitz come from Dr. Miklos Naisli. I would say sound out, but it's German. You can't. It's N-I-S-N-Y-I-S-Z-L-I. No. Naisli. Yeah. A prisoner slash physician who assisted Mengele under duress. That's the thing, too, is like the most horrible thing that the Nazis did was not the shit they did. It's that they made the Jewish people do it. Naisley published his experiences initially in his native Hungarian in 1946. His work, entitled Auschwitz, A Doctor's Eyewitness Accounts, appeared in English in 1960. In 1942, Sigmund Rascher and others conducted high-altitude experiments on prisoners at Dachau, which is another concentration camp. Eager to find out how to best save German pilots forced to eject at high altitudes, they placed inmates into low-pressure chambers that simulated altitudes as high as 68,000 feet and monitored their physiological response as they succumbed and died. Rasher was said to dissect victims' brains while they were still alive to show the high-altitude sickness resulted from the formation of tiny air bubbles in the blood vessels of a certain part of the brain. Of 200 people subjected to these experiments, 80 died outright, and the remainder were executed. So, um... We're going to go into some other experiments that aren't quite as... I mean, they're still horrific. Yeah. but it's, I think at this point, we're actually <laughs> mentally able to inject a couple of jokes here and there, just mm-hmm. because we've heard all the, pretty much the worst shit yeah, so we're far. We're kind of done with yeah. the children experiment. Yeah, and yeah, we're so desensitized at this that point that there's... Hard, yeah, like, yeah. So another experiment to determine the most effective means of treating German pilots who had become severely chilled from ejecting into the ocean or German soldiers who suffered extreme exposure from the Russian front, Rasher and others conducted freezing experiments at Dachau. For up to five hours at a time, they placed victims into vats of icy water, either in aviator suits or naked. They took others outside in the freezing cold and strapped them down naked. As the victims writhed in pain, foamed at the mouth, and lost consciousness, the doctors measured changes in the patient's heart rate, body temperature, muscle reflexes, and other factors. Like, the whole time you're saying all this, like, I'm thinking of how many YouTube videos and documentaries I've watched about training pilots and, like, survival situations and, like, realizing that these experiments are how we know a lot of it. Right. And right. that is... Even more, just like we—I mean, I as a black person, I knew that America was built on the blood of my people. But like, 
God damn. It's <laughs> the whole world is built on the blood of somebody's people. Right. When a prisoner's body internal body temperature fell to 79.7 degrees Fahrenheit, the doctors tried rewarming him using hot sleeping bags, scalding baths, even naked <sighs> women forced to copulate with the victim. Oh, my God. Some 80 to 100 patients perished during these experiments. Now, for the benefit of the German army, whose frontline soldiers suffered greatly from gas gangrene, a type of progressive gangrene, doctors at the Ravensbrück concentration camp performed studies to test the effectiveness of sulfonilamide sulf and other drugs in curbing such infections. They inflicted battlefield-like wounds in victims, then infected the wounds with bacteria such as streptococcus, tetanus, and gas gangrene. The doctors aggravated the resulting infection by rubbing around glass and wood shavings into the wound, and they tied off blood vessels on either side of the injury to simulate what would happen to the actual war wound. Victims suffered intense agony and serious injury, and some of them died as a result. Wow, really? Yeah. I'm incredibly surprised by that, as I'm sure the Nazi doctors were. Yeah. Yeah. Did not see that coming. War, war wounds are lethal and painful. Huh. Yeah. Huh. Especially when you Who'd put glass in it. it. Yeah. Now researchers at we Bucket, put we put tetanus and streptococcus in their wound and they died. How <laughs> what, strange! What valuable and unexpected scientific research. Yes. Researchers at Birkenwald concentration camp developed a method of individual execution by injecting Russian prisoners with phenol and cyanide. Experimenters also tested various poisons on the human body by secreting noxious chemicals in prisoners' food, or shooting inmates with poison bullets. Victims who did not die during these experiments were killed to allow experiments to the experimenters to perform autopsies. To determine if people had any natural immunities to tuberculosis... Keep in mind, a lot of these people we're talking about getting experimented on are children. I think these were adults. These were mostly adult men because they're simulating battle wounds. Yeah, yeah um, for the battle wounds and stuff. I get yeah, that, they're like, trying to see the, the effects of these things on people who would be soldiers which generally were adult men like whatever 18 to well, 25 actually yeah, reading well, the next paragraph oh no yeah. oh no don't read the next paragraph <laughs> to determine if people had any natural immunities to tuberculosis and to develop a vaccine against the disease dr kurt heisenmeyer or heismeyer injected live tubercular bacilli um into the lungs and inmates Lungs of inmates at Nurengame concentration camp. About 200 adult subjects died, and Heisenmeyer had 20 children from Auschwitz hung in an effort to hide evidence of the experiments from approaching Allied forces. So I guess there were some children involved. Wow. So you're saying he, he used lied. dead kids as a distraction. I guess. Or to hide the, the that they had tuberculosis. Holy fuck. There were a lot of um a lot of th they didn't have to intentionally inflict people with tuberculosis either because tuberculosis epidemics were rampant inside the concentration camps. They would happen all the time. I wonder if it was because they were injecting people with tuberculosis and putting them back in population. It, it happened naturally. It, yeah. When you have that many people I mean people tuberculosis is like one of those historical diseases that's like if you if you don't have a certain level of technology, that shit's going to run rampant no matter what you do. Right. So I'm sure it would have been made better, but like I don't think that was the point of the concentration camps. No, no. 
Um, you mentioned part of where they were trying to work on uh, a vaccine yeah. for tuberculosis by inflicting it on these people. That's part of where the there was some value. Not that any of it was right whatsoever, but there was some scientific information that was taken yeah, from the that's... human experiments. And it was... Inhumane is not the right word. Drop the E. It was inhuman experimentation. Um, Yeah, that's the part that really, truly fucks me up, is that, again, we benefit today from some of this. Right, and that's kind of the scary thing. worse somehow. Yeah, there's a point where you have to look at all of this information that they collected, and even though it was so heinous and so inhuman what they did... You have to think, okay, this happened and it's fucking horrible. And because it happened and because it was so horrible, we need to look at what we can take away from it so that it was not all in vain. What happened to these people? And that's one of the things that like this conversation is a more serious version of the if you could go back in time and kill Hitler, why wouldn't you conversation? And it's like, yeah, because of all these things, this might be the best timeline. And that's fucking awful. Yeah. Like, you know, like if you if we fuck it up, if if you were to go back in time and kill some of these scientists and some and Hitler and like Goebbels and shit, like who takes over after them during that time? A time of eugenics and the popular movement of racial cleansing shit. Like who who takes over f- from them? The more extreme ones, the one the people they killed when they got into power, like might that's be, might be scary. dipping into a bit more controversial territory there. That's what I'm saying, though. Is like I'm not saying it's the best timeline, but I'm saying like it. This is the basis of that conversation of like what changes if you change things, right? Basically, and it's a horrifying thought to me that maybe it gets worse somehow. Because, like, how do you even imagine worse than what we're talking about today? I think the biggest thing in it is trying to take what you can from a horrific thing that happened so that it didn't happen in vain. Yeah, that's about all you can do. Exactly. That's that's the bare minimum that you can do after the fact. You can't change that it happened, but you can try and gain some value from it, which the United States did. After the fact, actually, there were a lot of um, German scientists and engineers and doctors who were part of the Nazi party who I can't remember what the program was called. Paperclip. Paperclip. Yeah. Operation Paperclip. Operation Paperclip, where a lot of them were kind of recruited for the U.S. and forgiven for their horrific war crimes um, in exchange for their research and for further research that they basically our entire carry out yep yeah i was literally just thinking about like looking at this oculus right here (laughs) right thinking literally those men made this technology possible yeah some of them yeah some of them but like they they gave birth to precursor technology Mm -hmm. yeah like the whole nasa shit all of that pretty much started there which is wild fucking insane. we would be living in a very different timeline you're right if it weren't for a lot of this stuff so 
I still had like four more experiments to go through, but I think we're just gonna do we have to kind of coast to the end. I'm gonna skip over those. Right. Yeah, we we get it. Yeah. So to wrap it up, we we'll talk about the end of Joseph Mengele's career. Now he had hoped to use the research he had garnered at Auschwitz in order to produce uh, habilitation, which was a second postdoctoral dissertation required for admission to the university facility as a professor professor in German-speaking lands. Instead, in January of 1945, as the Soviet army advanced through western Poland, Mengele fled Auschwitz. He spent the next few weeks at the Gross-Rosen concentration camp until its evacuation. He then made his way west to evade capture by the Soviet forces. This is going to piss us all off. Yep. It is, it is not a satisfying end. In the immediate post-war period, Mengele was in U.S. custody. Unaware that Mengele's name already stood on a list of wanted war criminals, U.S. officials quickly released him. From the summer of 1945 until spring of 1949, using false papers, Mengele worked as a farmhand near Rosenheim, Bavaria. His prosperous family then aided his immigration to South America, where he settled in Argentina. Mengele's crimes have been well documented before the International Military Tribunal and other post-war courts. West German authorities issued a warrant for his arrest in 1959 and a request for extradition in 1960. So these places that he went to, I want to mention, they were absolutely crawling with Nazis that yeah. had um, escaped prosecution. Yeah, Argentina For a little was... bit of a lighter and slash pop culture reference, it's like the two dudes at the beginning of the that one X-Men movie where Michael Fassbender's hunting Nazis. Mm-hmm. Um, those two dudes talking about being pig farmers and shit. First of all, pig farmer was a euphemism for you know the shit that Joseph Mengele did. But like also, they meant we became pig farmers. We went and hid in these places together like as groups of people like there was whole areas where just nazi war criminals were just kind of hanging out doing farmhand shit for a while and a lot of people knew that they were nazis and that brings back once again the denial yeah that people had for how bad it was yeah um a lot of even though there was definitive proof and evidence of what had happened at the concentration camps and especially auschwitz it was being chalked up to allied propaganda and Mm. people who fake news exactly yes exactly people who were sympathetic with the axis powers simply refused to believe it yep just like the alt-right simply refuses to believe that anything was wrong with racism or slavery. So, alarmed by the capture of Adolf Eichmann in Buenos Aires in that same year, Mengele moved to Paraguay and then to Brazil. Mengele spent the last years of his life near Sao Paulo. In declining health, Mengele suffered a stroke and drowned while swimming at a vacation resort near Ber- uh, Bertagoa. Oh, my dear sweet baby Jesus. Bertagoa. Bortioga, Brazil. It doesn't matter. Yeah. Somewhere in Brazil. Somewhere in Brazil. On February 7th, 1979. Motherfucker. He was buried in a suburb of Sao Paulo under the fictive name Wolfgang Gerhard. Kick his grave. He went it, by a lot of different names yeah. during his escapes. Shit on and his goddamn headstone. Some of, some of the names were like so comedically close to Joseph Mingala. Like he, he would change a couple of syllables. That would be it, yeah. 
1985, German police, working on evidence that they had recently confiscated from a Mengele family friend in Gunsberg, located Mengele's grave and exhumed his corpse. Brazilian forensic experts thereafter positively identified the remains of Joseph Mengele. In 1992, DNA evidence confirmed this conclusion. Mengele had eluded his captors for 34 years. Now, the one, the one little bit of satisfaction that we can take from the way Joseph Mengele died, because everybody would have loved to see him killed in the Nuremberg yeah, trials. He, had to run like a dog for he ran years. like a fucking dog for 30 years. Yeah. He did not live large for those 30 years. Not not at all. He he was a farmhand. Yeah. He he went from being a quote unquote doctor, even the though angel he, of death to the angel of this cow shit. Right, exactly. Yeah, you're you're scooping cow shit for the rest of your life. And then he died simultaneously of having a stroke and drowning. Yeah. Thank God. The ironic thing is, is as a farmhand, he probably had to use his father's farming equipment. So, because that's not suspicious at all. <laughs> no, you know who you kind of look like. Yeah. <laughs> Wait a minute, I've seen your face before. I know I've seen you on these posters. Yeah, no, so this it. is a depressing one, and we're we got sorry. It. Yeah. Hey, um, um, PCP guy, have you gotten help yet? <laughs> Did you call someone? We love you. Yes. Please get help. Yeah. If you don't get help with two towns over, please get help somewhere. Get get help. Yeah. And also, uh, you know. And all you people that are still waving the Nazi flag and and saying that you know Hitler this had is the right. shit you're supporting. Yeah. Just, I want you to know that. that. Oh, course, they probably they some still deny this. Going, yeah. Right. Of course they still do Exactly. That's, of course, that's how it works. I, I literally used to uh, I used to buy weed from a guy who um, uh, was a Holocaust denier. And Jesus. one time, I don't remember exactly how he brought it up, but he just started going on this tangent about how, like, oh, yeah, well, none of those concentration camps existed up until, you know, the Russian forces moved in and just suddenly started finding them. And it's like. There's okay. fucking documents. He he was literally chalking it up to allied propaganda. I was like, dude, please just sell me my fucking quarter and leave. <laughs> Take this goddamn seventy five dollars or whatever. Get the fuck out of my face. <laughs> and what's really sad, this was nineteen nineteen forty five. So we are just shy of eighty years outside of this now. Yeah. And there are people still wearing Camp Auschwitz T shirts. Yep. Yeah, people wearing shirts that say six million like wasn't enough. Nazi yeah. flags and swastikas mm-hmm. on their goddamn elbows and shit. Yeah. Making these stupid fucking jokes about uh, Jewish people being burned yeah. during the Holocaust, and not realizing that that kind of desensitization to what happened is yeah, the no. same kind of desensitization that allowed it to happen in the first place. Yeah, right. no, that's the thing is that like I can specifically remember in high school the phase. That unfortunately, many people in my generation do remember the edgy phase. Yeah, the edgy phase of Helen Keller jokes and dead yep. baby jokes and mm-hmm. Jewish concentration camp jokes, and like, yeah, no, that's exactly why it worked. Is because all these German soldiers were like high school, early college age people, mostly young men who were stupid and who started making jokes about it, and were able to do things like crush baby skulls and steal the eyes of people 
like like that is a an actual demon nothing yeah. in, like like that is that is literally a, a the premise of like if i was going to think of what kind of demon i was going to write i would write one that literally eats babies burns women and steals the eyes of twins because it thinks it's fun like that's a that's an eldritch being yeah yeah, I, w- I went through that edgy phase where I would tell all those terrible fucking stupid jokes. Yeah. It's like if, if I ever get famous for anyone and for it for anything and someone like goes through like my 2011 Facebook feed, I'm going to get fucking crucified. Yep. I, I, w- I went back and I, tr- I tried to clear out a lot of it because I'm not fucking proud of it, but shit's no, on the I internet forever. I'm, I'm going to get crucified. I, I specifically keep most of my shit from back then because I like to look at it as a reminder of like, Oh, I was right about this one. Oh, I was very wrong about that one. I'm glad I've changed. Right. Like, that to me is more valuable than getting crucified in the media. I don't want to be famous. And if, but if I do become famous, that's the only thing I'll say is like, you heard it here first, folks. It's like, I kept all that because I want you to see it's possible to become a better person than that. Uh, it's be- It's possible. It's not that fucking hard, actually. Like, it's pretty goddamn easy to just not. Don't call women bitches and don't make Nazi jokes and don't be racist. It's not hard. The reality of it is not worth the shock value. Right. Yes. Right. Because the reality is going to shock you way worse than the joke will. Way worse. Yeah. And I just want to point out before we close that the demon that Ruben is talking about right now is not our cuddly friend the sleep demon. No, he's an actual human whose name was Joseph Mengele or Joseph Mengele or whatever the fuck. And he was a horrible monster and we should never forget him and we should never let him rest and he should burn in hell forever. Guarded by the souls of the triumphant dead who he killed. Who now get to torture him for eternity. Amen. Such a poetic thought. Yes. So that about wraps it up, everybody. We have run the gamut today. Yeah, we have. We Boy, are emotional. We a lot of emotions today, huh, guys? Yeah, we did. I we, am emotionally tapped out. Last wow. time, we, we talked about some really gruesome murder and sexual assault. We didn't have to take a single break in over an hour of recording. We took <laughs> yeah. three breaks today. <laughs> yeah. And one was just after the after the sleep experiment story who wasn't even that was real just, yeah that was a preparatory one like, that that was, was like, the funny was part of the episode story here we this is the this is the part of the episode where we get to have fun yeah and now i need a break because it's about to get fucking real like <laughs> that's how it felt. so what is the sleep demon's name uh, no his name is sleep demon oh that's that's sleep demon the sleep, sleep demon. demon yeah it's it's not sleep demon it's sleep demon sleep Hi, my name is Sleep Demon. Yes. I'm a sleep demon. That's correct. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah, right. Awesome. I just got it, you know, marketing. We yeah. got to get that yes. marketing going, yep. that marketing yep. money. Again, is Sleep Demon, I think it's two different bands. It's like the when the Ghost Strokes were like, ah, I, you know, Sleep Demon's kind of a lame name. I think we should be the Ghost Strokes. The so guy, like, the guy like when, that left yeah. was still Sleep Demon. Right. Right. He oh yeah. Like yeah. A new band. He, he went. Yeah. He started another project. Yeah. yeah like Crash of the Boys, but without. The <laughs> yeah. So kind of like how Just when crashed. the Beatles were the Quarrymen. Yeah. So uh, as Sleep Demon, they weren't that popular. But when they changed their name to Ghost Strokes, yeah. That prog or, rock or, metal yeah. goth. Yeah. Or music. it's like when, uh, when who was it? Peter Gabriel and. Genesis. Genesis. Yeah. Uh, it's like he went off to be Peter Gabriel. 
Uh, Genesis was more popular than ever kind of thing. Yeah, like that. gotcha. Like, you know, Sleep Demon still had a good musical career gotcha. throughout the 80s and 90s, but like Ghost Strokes is still popular today. Gotcha. Okay. <laughs> I feel like Sleep Demon now exists as a Ghost Strokes cover band. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> that's good. I like that. I like that a lot. We we call ourselves fade a out tribute on that. band. That's what we're fading out. <laughs>